Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. Welcome everybody to uh, <laughs> Curtis Complains about Modern Culture. I'm what? Dustin. Just, just, this is you know, Tim Harvey. Just lay off middle-aged white men. We're, we're, we're being quiet and we're behaving ourselves. You are not being quiet. Not, not being quiet or behaving our, yourselves. You uh, and 22-year-old blonde little white girls are just losing your damn minds. God. Have Dang you it. not been paying any attention? You, middle-aged straight white guys and little 22-year-old girls are losing their damn minds. You know why? You know why? Because we ain't running shit no more. Right. Uh, it's terrible. On. It's terrible. No, no. I'm, I'm not. I'm, well, I'm a, <laughs> neither am I. But yeah. in, the, in the grand scheme of things, middle-aged white guys are still doing pretty good in the running things department. Now, and all let's, their wives. Let's hope that training. changes because we're being behaving. We're behaving. I haven't yeah. even flirted with someone in like five years. <laughs> okay, there's different definitions of behaving being used here. Uh, Oh, well, I used to. Oh my God, I was the worst man. You guys have known me a long time, and I've improved a lot over the years. But man, did I used to be inappropriate all the time, embarrassingly so. And I just can't wait for it's my till it's my turn. I'm going to be the guy that's like I experienced just a little bit of success, and then somebody's going to go, "Well, that guy did tell me one time that my pussy smelled like candy canes." which I probably did to someone at some point. Probably wasn't even joking. I was there and just going, interesting. You're waiting for your big Me Too moment is what you're saying. Well, I don't want it to be a Me Too moment. Not that. I don't want to be erased. I just want to, <laughs> just want to be punished a little bit publicly. Don't we or all? for somebody to try so you can be like, what? Yeah. Yeah, what did I do? I'm just a middle-aged white man, innocent of all crimes. Uh, hi, folks. Welcome to some apocalypse now. Uh, I'm Timothy Harvey. I'm Dustin. I'm Nate Bowmanston, sir. Today. Uh, well, yes. Welcome, sure. Nate Bowmanston, sir. You can call me Curtis. It's fine. <laughs> Folks, you have been missing our discussion about the plight of the middle-aged white male and how they are being put upon by today's world. They uh, haven't been missing it. No, this <laughs> it is as if... I'm not... I See, this is how much I've improved over... I'm not going to say what I was just about to say because my impulses are more under control now. Thank goodness. Well, could you give some lessons? There's a lot of people who need to take that one, apparently, out there in the world. We are discussing, um, well, we're entertaining ourselves before we start recording our show we are doing tonight. Of course, this is uh, our fourth episode dealing with Lovecraft Country. As we're recording this, Dustin is another year older. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you are Today, you do realize you are a middle-aged white male, right? I am a middle-aged white male. But because I have uh, the homosexuals and the queer gender identity, I get to... Uh, to to not not get lumped in with all those guys, you know. Otherwise known as the other two people on the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I've got I've got like I've got some kind of bonus credit or something because I'm a middle aged white male, and I also live in my mother's basement. Yes. Well, technically, it's your basement. Well, it is absolute. Let's not just technically. It's my goddamn basement. Mom lives in my upstairs. That's how we're going to say that from now on, I think. Thank you, Dustin. There we go. Yes. Mom Mom lives on the second floor. <laughs> of my palatial estate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In the actual house. Mom lives in the actual house. So one of the things that, that I think that we find ourselves in interesting situations sometimes is when reviewing a show like Lovecraft Country, which is very much about an experience that we don't have that we did not experience. First of all, we didn't grow up in the 1950s. So there's a very different thing going on there in terms of the world that we're living in. But also it's a lot about the black experience, the African-American experience in America in the 1950s, plus monsters. The the illumination that they shine on that is indescribable to me because it's, um, you know, because we hear about racism all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a topic of conversation all day, everywhere. But somehow this show manages to catch a flavor that we've never been exposed to, or at least I haven't. It's astounding to me. I really, 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 really like this show a lot. Yes, I agree. I think one of the interesting things that this show manages to do well is because the characters are very relatable and very understandable uh, no matter what your own experiences are, because you re- we've connected with them as early as we do in the series. By the time we get into some of the really, really dark places this show is willing to go, uh, not just on the horror level, but also in what's going on in society at the time, the point of view you're invested in these characters when they're going through the casual and incredibly cruel day-to-day racism that they're experiencing, it's painful because you're connected to this character. And of course, that's good writing and great great acting mm-hmm. that's doing that because you're invested in these characters. And when they are being hurt, whether it's everywhere, anything from physically to just being you know, damaged through how they're being treated, it comes through, which is, which is really well-crafted in this show. And I think only that's a terribly easy thing to pull off. It is for even so much that it's set in a world where, you know, magic and, and monsters are real. It, the, the reality binding it all together, the, the day-to-day human horrors of, of Jim Crow America is the most disturbing part about the show. Mm-hmm. It's also casual. It's all just so so ca- I mean, it's, it's it's casual cruelty. It's casual, you know, belittlement. It's casual violence. It's I mean, it's there's just so. Eh, this is just how it is. It's the it's the roots of uh, it's the roots of our privilege now. 
I mean, if you're if you're a black person in the fifties, you're pretty well screwed. What what happens in this in this one? Some this good is stuff. The, yeah, dun, this is the copyright Lucasfilm Spielberg Productions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we got we were demonetized just now. The, the National <laughs> Treasure. National Treasure episode. Yeah, National Treasure One meets National Treasure Two. That's they're going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Christina shows up at Letty's house. Letty's real mad because she has realized she's been told. Atticus told her that Letty was the one who gave her the money for the house. And when she shows up, she's like, "I don't know what your deal is. I don't know why you're doing these things that you're doing, but." And I don't care that you gave me the money for this house. This is my house, and you need to get out. Well, and Christina can't even get in. She's she's oh, right. physically barred through magic from walking through the door. And so she's like, hey, um, just no biggie, but have you seen a weird thingy with planets on it and an extra sun? And Letty's like, uh, No. Uh, which is true because we we glossed over this last week, but at the party that Letty had, uh, George's wife found the the is an ossuary. What is it called? It's called an ossuary. Yeah, found the ossuary and then freaking stole it. Well, Hippolyta is also. Uh, we get a little bit in this episode to show how she is fascinated by the stars. Uh-huh. And it, as a child, she wanted to be. This is like a super subplot of this. This is mm-hmm. not even. Uh, but as a child, she was young enough when they were when Pluto. They were looking for Pluto, Planet X, and she was somebody who submitted a name when they were trying to come up with a name when when Pluto was discovered, and she didn't get it. But she's been fascinated with the planet since she was a child. So coming across this ossuary with this scale, this little. Uh, solar system in miniature and uh, very unusual as it is, you can see how she'd be someone who would just like, ooh, I want this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it turns out that it's she's not the only one who wants it. And Christina? Christina would like it very, very, very much. <laughs> right. So Christina it leaves in a harumph. <laughs> and, and so Letty goes to find Atticus and she's like, Hey, by the way, I thought I thought you were going to kill Christine. <laughs> what happened there? Because Christina makes it like, oh, Atticus tried to kill me. We need to be careful around Atticus. And then when Letty shows up where Atticus is, she's like, I thought you were going to kill her. <laughs> so so uh, he's like, well, I couldn't. I tried. I wanted to, but something stopped me. He was bound by yeah. special powers, dark forces. <laughs> so doesn't the dad, what's his name? Isn't he the one who like convinces them they need to go to Montrose has already destroyed some of the papers that he brought back from their time over in Artem. And he would rather that Atticus have nothing to do with this, but because Letty has Letty knows that he had already looked into this stuff before he went to Artem before any of this the show actually starts. They're like, well, why don't we go talk to him? And he is not wanting to cooperate. 
because he doesn't want Atticus to have anything to do with this. This is a bad right. thing. It's dangerous. It's getting people killed. Um, it's, you know, it's magic. It's monsters don't get involved. So they go back to the bar and they're trying to have this conversation with Montrose about all this. And we've seen this before, and we're going to continue to see it as the show plays out, how he and Atticus, just when they're in the same room, they just butt heads. They just, I mean, they're, they just smash against each other. And there's the way that Montrose abused Atticus as when Atticus was growing up is the way he treats him now. There's just so much anger between these two men. And of course, you throw this situation in. Atticus storms off because Montrose won't help. And Letty just like slaps him in the face with, you know, you're going to get your son killed because mm. you know, he, he's going to do this without you, with or without you. And you have a choice. So the next thing is everybody's piling into Woody to go to a museum uh, to find a MacGuffin so that they can learn another thing. Braithwaite's Book of Life. There are pages that have deep cosmic secrets but they're in they're stored in a safe that is in this museum in Boston. So yes, the MacGuffin. It's a little known, little known fact. Some people are aware of this, but most old buildings in Boston have uh, impossible to get to crypts in ah. their basements that are sometimes filled with water and sometimes not. And also thousands and thousands of feet deep. Yes. And huge, the, the, the amount of caverns underneath Boston yep. that That's are just true. full of eldritch horrors. And, and I think that, that part of that was um, a lack of a union presence at the turn of the century because <laughs> they just, people would be digging and they had no idea when to stop. Right. And they would just go down and down and make everything cool. Although, <laughs> although there is some evidence backed up later in the episode that the space they end up in is underneath Boston, kind of the way that hell is down <laughs> in that it's, I, I, I think you could argue that they're not actually underneath Boston for a significant chunk. Of right. The, yeah. Because, okay. Okay. They're in a netherland. There's some laws of physics things that don't quite work in this place, <laughs> but we haven't got there yet. Oh, hell, I thought they were going to find the the missing treasure of the Masons. They go to this museum in Boston. Oh, everybody and... goes to the museum in Boston, yeah. by the way. It's Atticus and Letty and uh, Montrose and Hippolyta and Hippolyta's daughter, Dee, and the bouncer from the bar, Tree. Yeah. Who sneaks in another one of those, I bet you, I bet somebody's banging your girl. Well, not off. only that, but he, he, like, Tree is this character who just comes in and says some bullshit and then, like, pieces out. Yeah. He did that last I'm episode with, the, with like, hey, I, I had sex with Letty back in high school later. And then to this, this time, he's like, hey, it's weird. Your dad's so close to the obviously gay owner of this bar later. <laughs> 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 Part of you wants to see Tree die terribly because he's kind of awful. Tree's going to like lose some money betting on horses or something. He's going to get his, but it's going to be like that. Yeah. 
he'll probably make it to the end of this series perfectly intact because his job is just to come in and mess things up and then disappear. Yeah. We'll find out that he is the living embodiment of Satan on Earth, and he that's how he works. He's yeah. like, hey, I heard somebody was turning your girl, you know. He, uh, that's you know, that's, kind of, that's kind of a whole Narlawathotep thing to pull, but uh, that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny if this whole season we're just like so irritated with him and at the end he like he does that reveal like at the end of Lost Boys <laughs> he turns around his mouth is just just fangs and it's like oh <laughs> good evening I am Narlothotep the black pharaoh bow before me yeah sure <laughs> I, I, I can see that I'd love it for as much as we all enjoyed watching this episode we just don't want to talk about it <laughs> well, okay. So there's there's a whole lot of going down into the they go to the mu- okay, so they split up basically. They do the they do the reconnaissance at the museum during the day. And then Montrose knows a guy at the museum who will let them get in at night to go ahead and search for the safe. So they do that. And then they find themselves going down into the tunnels underneath and then the caverns and then the magic things, what happen. And there's this whole stretch in there where it's kind of like, let's walk around the caverns in a, you know, standard kind of adventure. Uh, we're, We're underground in the secret caverns. Let's get the torch. And let's go down the wrong passage. Let's go down the other passage. And oh, wait, here's the chasm. And we have to get across the chasm. But we can't get across the chasm. Oh, wait. You know, and it's... it's it first- does get yeah, a that, little tropey, yeah. That, that chasm bit was out of... Uh, that was out of Indiana Jones 3, oh, yeah. man. I mean, it was different. But, you know, that was like, oh, it's like Indiana Jones 3. This is the first time with this show that I actually sat there and went... <sighs> Because <laughs> it was it, it's something I didn't want to didn't want to say, but it was standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was, was yes, standard. it was very tropey. It was off the rack elements, and and here it is. And I mean, there were some funny bits. They make their way. They start to make their way across this basically a beam across uh-huh. this chasm, and it doesn't go well as such things always do. Someone almost falls, et cetera, et cetera. And then the beam. Not starts- Letty. Okay, before we go any any farther. If there's ever a question in your mind as to whether the person in peril is Letty or Montrose, mm. it's Montrose. Right. In yeah. every possible instance, that dude is useless. <laughs> well, Letty's so- getting crowbars and learned cryptids, and, and Montrose is standing there with the, uh, with the lantern shivering. Montrose Montrose has never been shy about the fact that he does not want to be here this is not his thing he thinks this is a bad idea he's told you it's a bad idea Mm -hmm. he's reminded you that he told you it was a bad idea and did he mention this is a bad idea so basically he would be me (laughs) (laughs) we made a mistake (laughs) but there's this great bit where the 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 little beam, the, the the way across the chasm starts to disintegrate in pure 1930s pulp 
adventure. That's how old this trope is, right? This is this is a Tarzan. It's every jungle adventure, Flash Gordon, tomb, you know. Flash Gordon thing. It's it's every. Yeah. It, this is all Doc the Savage. It's those <laughs> it's those serialized adventures. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Montrose is like, okay, I'm going to throw you the I'm going to throw you the bag, and it's got all their supplies in it, and he throws it to to Atticus and. Atticus drops it. I mean, it was a great moment because because the next line out of Montrose's mouth is, "Boy, <laughs> you better catch me." <laughs> although, although they, I hate scenes like this, this 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 uh, beam scene because it becomes so obvious for me that it's like green screen mm-hmm. and that they don't uh, actually have only 12 inches of space to deal with because when Montrose jumps over and Atticus catches him, like there is no way like centripetal force would have caused both those dudes to fall. Oh yeah. No. And you know, it's just one of those like, would it have been, would it have been centripetal force or uh kinetic Kind of well, kinetic and momentum, and and yeah. pick a force. We need an engineer. Someone bring me an engineer. <laughs> but no, it, you're right, Dustin. It's very much a tropey thing. It's it's a this whole section of the episode is action adventure cliches. Yeah, and to some degree, it's fun because there's this sort of thing is fun. But for this show, it's actually a bit of a disappointment to me. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't exactly pick up immediately after because they make it across as this thing is disintegrating and they get there's a there's a Tomb Raider puzzle we have to go through here uh, Indiana Jones puzzle with the the Yahweh puzzle from the third movie and Montrose has a solution because he knows what the Sons of Adam's uh, sort of mantra and we don't really see what Letty's doing when she's pushing the stones to make this thing open we just see her hand and we don't really have a good picture of the door Mm -hmm. and i was just like why aren't we seeing the images that she's pushing where's the close-up i mean as a director and as an editor i'm like where's where's the dramatic close-up of her hand and the and the symbol that she's pushing they missed a lot of shots i noticed that because uh they I mean, we'll get to it, but after they complete this phase of their adventure, they're just suddenly home. Right. Uh, But also, um, what she pressed doesn't necessarily matter as much as the fact that Montrose knew it. Oh, yeah. You know, the fact that he was able to tell them what it was and have them all look around at him. and uh, They have literally the exact conversation we just had earlier where it's like, Hey, Montrose, how did you know that really weird specific thing? And that's when he has to admit that he had some of these papers... And he had read read them all, so he's he knows the information. And oh, by the way, after he read them, he burned them, and nobody's happy. Right. Again, we come back to this: just the way that these two guys, the argument that Montrose is trying to protect his son, is hard to accept. Considering, on one hand, he's abused him so much he beat him when he was as Atticus was growing up. And yet you have these moments where you almost believe this is what Montrose really thinks he's trying to do. And it's this complicated relationship between these two that actually makes Montrose a lot more interesting character than he could be 
in a situation like this, mm-hmm. um, where you kind of believe that he's an incredibly flawed, not good person who's actually trying to do a good thing when it comes to trying to save his son. And it absolutely does not hurt at all that Montrose is played by... Hang on. Wow, you're going to get to the end of this sentence tomorrow, but probably. (laughs) My internet's going not fast enough for me. I can tell. Michael K. Williams. Yeah. Who uh, played Omar Little on The Wire, and Omar Little is you know, one of those really complicated characters whose code might allow, you know, his code might allow him to kill people or beat up a kid or whatever, but it means something to him Mm -hmm. differently. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how they reconcile this with Montrose. I like that. I like that he has all these layers yeah, I mean, it could be very, it could be way too easy to just make him Atticus's horrible father. Mm-hmm. You know, as a contrast to Uncle George, as sort of a semi antagonist to to Attic, what Atticus is trying to do, but they give him a lot more depth, which is welcome. It's very much, it's a very welcome thing. Well, I hope they don't do what a lot of shows do, and they. They keep throwing... Okay, X-Files, great example. Well, they just keep throwing story at you, and they resolve nothing. At this point, this is only a 10-episode show, so hopefully we're going we're gonna to get all the story. <laughs> we're going to get to the end. Well, they find themselves coming across a new part of this underground thrill ride, Disney ride they're on, and... It's uh, they they enter the Pirates of the Caribbean section. <laughs> That's really true. That's what happens. Basically, find the underwater, the sunken boat at the bottom of the ocean. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Goonies with the Goonies, uh, full of corpses. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna tell you how that's possible. Teak. Oh. Very resilient wood. Does not also rot eldritch magic. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, that too. But teeth and Eldritch. Okay, fair. <laughs> um, so one of the corpses comes to life and like grows skin and becomes a, 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 a very lovely hermaphrodite, which accounts for why some of those earlier scenes were shot so cheaply because they blew their wad on this transformation and it was wonderful. Yeah. It's a it. very, it's a great looking transformation. And it's an interesting character because if you know anything about certain Native American mystical traditions, uh, the two spirit, the not man, not woman alone, this is part of their, their mystical cultures, this shamans in some traditions, the fact that they straddled the line between man and woman that gave them mystical power. So this character is is rooted in certain aspects of real Native American mythology and, and mysticism. <laughs> for uh, about for about ten and a half minutes. For about ten and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is not a character who's happy to be brought back from no. corpse like state. Because they were tricked into translating some of the Book of Adam 
and when they realized that the book of Adam was going to, that their translation was going to be used for evil, they tried to confront the guy and uh, whose name I can't just, it's one of, one of the one yeah. of the Braithwaite ancestors. The one who stole the book, not not the one who is Atticus's ancestor. Another one later stole pages from the book and tried to do all this weird stuff with it. And so those are the pages that are out there floating around. This Waithwaite locked them and all of their family in this boat and killed them all and left the two spirit shaman alive with all the corpses of their family. This character has gotten for this episode, this character has gotten the biggest online discussion thing happening around this character. And part of it comes down to, we spend an awful lot of time looking at this hermaphrodite naked. There's a whole lot of the camera lingering on them. Now, part of that comes from them reviving from the corpse-like state, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of shots. Before Atticus gives them a robe, the camera, you know, we get a whole lot of full frontal shots of this. So some people are up comfortable by that. There were some, also some interesting things going on because Atticus refers to Yahima, which is the name of the character, as her when he's describing what she's saying to to Montrose and Letty. And there are people who are upset about this because that's a gendering that, you know, uh, assigning a gender to a character. And to some modern audiences, that's very uncomfortable and, and not cool. But we also have to keep in mind, Atticus... It's not from a modern context. He's a man in his 20s in the 1950s. He wouldn't be like, can you explain to me your gender pronouns? Right. It just just wouldn't happen. You know, have a feminine face. And when you put the the robe on it, can't see the penis anymore. So that's a lady. Well, and and if you're going to be okay with a show that uses a certain N-word as much as it does in, in the service of telling how, showing how people actually talked... Mm-hmm. this situation, while I completely understand why some people are uncomfortable with this scene, in terms of the context of the show and the story they're telling, it makes perfect sense that Atticus would be using she here. And, and it, it's okay if it's, make, if it's making people uncomfortable, that's good, because for modern audiences, good, we should be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But for him, for that character, he's thinking, he's thinking she, because that's what, his, that's what his upbringing and his world tells him to do. But he can understand what Yahima is saying, even though the other people can't. So while Yahima is speaking in their native tongue, Atticus is translating and basically, you know, getting the story of that Braithwaite came and did all the things and betrayed them and, and been trapped here ever since. And when Atticus asks for help, because, you know, you've got the, there's all these scrolls in front of you. You know, this is, we're looking for these pages Yahima's like, no. <laughs> no. No, thanks. <laughs> um, you're, re- you're related to him. I completely accept that you're not him and that you're not allies. But you know something? I don't know you. Right. And so the last time I helped a stranger, do you see where it got me? <laughs> so they're like, well, fine. We're just going to take these scroll and go. 
But as soon as they pick it up, it's 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 a Goonies trap, and the the window starts to break, and the water starts to rush in. So they have to. Everybody, including Yahima, has to escape, and so they go back to Letty's elevator shaft. Oh, did we mention that Letty's elevator shaft, that's all the way back in Chicago, opens up on these tombs in Boston? No, we did not. <laughs> but that's a thing that happens. <laughs> more evidence that they are not actually beneath Boston. They're in some sort of, you know, liminal space where magic happens. But the whole reason they knew it first is like, do you recognize that corpse? <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the guys who attacked my house. What's yeah, he doing weird. here? Is that your elevator? Huh. Okay. Uh, and there's a whole dramatic, the elevator's filling up with water. And oh, the, the scroll uh, falls and Letty goes and gets it. Because, as I have stated earlier, if you feel like any character is going to be in peril, you just might as well never expect it to be Letty. <laughs> Letty is not the character in peril. <laughs> she will. No. But then they get into the elevator and everything is saved until Yahima starts screaming. And it's and, very loud. And uh, Atticus punches her, which is also another scene that upset a lot of people in, in the re- world of reviews. But it's not just a scream scream. It's a mystical power. They decide Atticus reveals later that he think, thinks that she's been cursed with a scream of a siren. Braithwaite didn't want her to be able to tell anybody else what she knew outside right. of where she was trapped. So out, out in the regular world, she can't speak. But they're back in they're back in uh, they're back in Chicago, and that leads to a really funny moment because Hippolyta and her daughter have to drive all the way back from Boston, and the kids like how okay explain to me again how they got from Boston to Chicago without us and the car, and the mom's like I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but then they see the atlas because because the little girl uh is an artist and she was drawing in the atlas her her experiences in boston and uh, the mom looks at the pages where they had gone back up to lovecraft country uh where george was killed and he and she on a whim decides we're gonna go there we're going we're gonna get some answers yeah, that's where that's where they're headed, huh? That's that's cool. Sounds good. Am I am I wrong? I feel like that's what she said at the end. No, really? it seems it seems like you're right, and and I just completely forgot about that part because yeah, I'm no spoiler on five. Well, and I think you know one thing that Hippolyta is really we've we've seen this happen in previous episodes. She is not accepting of the lack of a story about how George died. She knows there's more to it. And she knows that she's not being told the truth about what's going on, you know, why they went to Boston, why any of this stuff is going on. And so she's a smart lady. She found the orrery. She's going to get some answers. And this will take her to some interesting places if they follow some of what the book does. We'll have to see how that plays out. So meanwhile, uh, at Letty's boarding house, Montrose and Atticus are talking about what they're going to do with this uh, ancient Shamus who's come back from the dead. <laughs> and and, uh, and 
they're like, well, I guess she'll uh, she can stay here. Uh, we can teach her some English. Maybe we can get some answers out of her through writing. And uh, Montrose agrees, and Atticus leaves, and Montrose kind of goes into the room where Yahima is sitting, and he and he ta- He says, "I'm so sorry about this," and then he slits her throat. The look on both of their faces, you know, on on one horrified surprise and one just sort of horrified certainty. Uh, it's it's a very creepy scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And and very surprising. Did not. Yes, definitely. The show doesn't pull punches. It doesn't cater to your safety zone. It throws you in the middle of some fucked up shit and makes you deal with stuff. That and, is very true. And that is what I would tell anyone who's triggered by this shit. Because I'm going to tell you something, and this may be a middle aged white person opinion. I don't know. But it's coming from me, so maybe. People who review shows like us, the actual review says more about the reviewer than it does the show. Mm-hmm. Okay? It can. Um, and so when I look at a piece of art, you know, and I would consider that this show has definitely got some bigger things to say than just the story, so it would be a piece of art. When I look at that, I experienced that. I experienced the show and the art inside it. And I don't blame it for how I feel afterwards. I try to make those connections within myself. Uh And when people feel like um, they're uncomfortable about looking at a penis on screen or, uh, you know, especially when it's accompanied with boobs and that might make some people uncomfortable. Well, that's about you. The show didn't do that to you. That's happened your whole life. You right. Know? Stop blaming the show for the way, the shitty way you feel about yourself. That's, that's how I want to end. <laughs> <laughs> that's where you want to, uh, this conversation to end. Yeah, really. I like it. We've just, we have clawed our way to the end of this episode of Zompocalypse now, folks. Except we've left something out. Oh, God. Because Ruby goes for a drink. Oh, yes. Has someone come up and sit down next to her at the bar and say, hi, how you doing? Oh, right. Yeah. And Ruby (laughs) looks over and it's a certain very blonde, very white very well-dressed gentleman that we were introduced first by some opening the door and saying, welcome. You've been expected. It's William. Christina's, uh, other self manservant, other self. I'm calling it now. Christina and William are the same person. We can neither confirm nor deny this at this time. Cause that might be spoilers for the next episode. We'll get there. Oh, I haven't watched the next episode. Um, then I, we can neither confirm nor deny because that oh. might or might not yeah. be spoilers for the next episode. Oh, I thought the reason this episode, this this uh, talk was going so weirdly was because we all want to talk about next episode. Oh, I, I want to talk. No. About I, that for I, um, episode five so bad. 
Yeah. I, I'm ready. I I decided because things went so bad last week for me, like forgetting how things went. And it's been like, again, it's been another full freaking week since I watched the show. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I can't do that. I need to stop doing that. I need to wait and watch the show closer to when we do the episode so that I can, I can not be like, and then they did a thing. There was a thing. I know there was a thing. A thing happened with a guy. Yeah. And they went to a place. Right. Sure. So I haven't so. seen it because I'm going to wait until what I'm, I'm assuming this weekend. Right. So I'm going to probably watch it either tomorrow. I mean, in the next day or so. Uh, so that I look forward I can to be. hearing what you think, because Curtis and I have already established we have thoughts. Yeah. Oh, yes. So Dustin, this episode is going to tickle the balls off of you. That's I like it when my balls are tickled. Hell yeah. Two doesn't. There we go. So yeah, so so this is clearly a situation that is going to end well between Ruby and William, because of course it is. I mean, these nothing possibly bad can happen between Ruby and William. Nah. No. Uh, except that they don't exactly just spend the rest of the evening at the bar uh, after cons- after very much insisting that she is not going to sleep with him. And to sleep with him, there's a whole lot of, well, they're not sleeping. No, they're definitely not. We call that sex. Uh, mm-hmm. They're having the sex. Um, I have never enjoyed sex on a stairwell. Stairway. Um, uh, I no. never, I don't understand why that ends up in culture as uh, like in films and tv as something that people do but uh once upon a time i had it start on a staircase and you know what we did we moved away from the staircase because they're not comfortable good god no that's no. what they're for <laughs> that's that's why we have beds <laughs> so so yeah so clearly stuff is going to happen there yeah lots of well, no. Some cool things happened this episode, and there was a whole lot of... Clunkiness. <sighs> Clunkiness. There's, there's, there's about 20 minutes of this episode that I just was kind of not engaged with in the way that we've been so far with other episodes. Right, right. So, but there's some good stuff here. So, so more development with Montrose and things like that. But yeah, I mean, some cool stuff, but we'll, we'll have to see how it continues to play out. Now, uh, I will say that the scene in the the book version of this uh, doesn't involve Letty, has a much bigger cast, and uh, Yahima is not in the book at all. So there's some very interesting things that are going on in terms of the adaptation. When we get through the whole season, we can talk more about the differences between the book and the and the series, uh, for good and for ill. I think some cases there's some very interesting distinctions between the two, while still kind of covering the same larger path of the story so we'll see how it plays out but more as that develops as always if you'd enjoyed us rambling about the show that we're watching just fighting our way through it tonight guys (laughs) if you have enjoyed listening to that i'm not sure if you have or not uh but you can find us on facebook you can find us on twitter you can find us on podcast.com you can find us on uh, apple podcasts you can leave us a comment or a rating. If you're loving the show, Lovecraft Country or any of the other shows and movies that we're reviewing, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. If you have a 
part that you loved, a part that you hated. We'd love to love to hear what your thoughts are as well. We share our opinions and we want to hear your opinions. That's how this all works. We'll do this again, of course. Uh, and of course, we also have The Walking Dead universe coming up and coming back and also coming to a close. We'll talk about that in an upcoming episode. How We have the announcement that, of course, The Walking Dead only has two more years as a TV show before it goes away. Uh, and gives us... Only the- to be replaced by seven other things. Yeah, well, especially the Carol and Daryl spinoff that Dustin and I have been cra- calling for. Carol uh, and Daryl, Daryl and Carol. No, that's not the song. That's not the song. It's... it's- What's the song? I, I want to hear the song. Negan. Judith and Negan. Judith and Negan. Judith and Negan and Judith. Traveling around, solving <laughs> crimes. Just solving crimes. What, what? Does Negan have Judith right now? Oh, dude. He's practically her nanny at this point. You need to get caught up because they are the best not right couple on The Walking Dead. Uh, Judith is like one uh, years old. She's she's nine now. There was a time jump. Fuck this show. (laughs) Continuously. Forever. (laughs) I'll I'll watch it and I'll get caught up, but God, it's just, I'm getting... All, seriously, all you have to do is watch the most recent season. Okay. To kind of get a... Because they will have enough flashbacks where I can add it up as I go, won't they? Well, I mean, like we just said, there was a time jump. So it's a it's a good, like, oh, well, we don't have to catch up. Like, you don't have to know. Don't Don't watch. Don't watch anything else. Come in cold. It will be amazing. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Do not watch a single episode of Fear the Walking Dead before you watch with us uh, the se- the season uh, premiere in in a couple of weeks. Don't Dustin, don't do it. Dustin Stay just away. wants to tell you really bizarre <laughs> versions of what happened <laughs> to catch you up. Okay, they will be they will be strictly speaking true. <laughs> but not remotely accurate. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be it's gonna make for good podcasting. It'll Both be- of our listeners will really enjoy it. That's right. All right, folks. Uh we appreciate you listening to the show. As always, we hope that you will con- join us on our next episode. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Tim. Happy birthday, Dustin. Happy Thank birthday you so much. Thanks you guys for being in our lives. Yes. Thank you for being a friend. We, uh, as we've discussed on this show before, we are all in different places as we record this, and it is one of the things that is always unfortunate when you, you really wish you could be around your friends for their birthdays. So it's. I really, really wish that we could have all gone and had Vietnamese food tonight, and laughed and talked and and eaten uh, shrimp with with uh, sweet potato. We'll get to do that again. Yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to that and looking forward to you guys joining us again next week on our next episode of Zompocalypse Now. Zompocalypse Now is produced and recorded by Timothy Harvey, Dustin Adair, and Curtis Smith for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved. <laughs>